0: torts. Quick disclaimer before getting into the topic. Uh, We were supposed to make it to the end of uh, this section, which is unforeseeable consequences. We weren't able to make it to the end of these cases, so I don't want to cover all three cases. I'm just going to cover two. And then next week when we cover the last case in class, then I'm going to go over that case as far as unforeseeable consequences go. Just to recap, And really to sum up the biggest takeaway from all these cases is there's a whole, there's this seemingly conflict of analysis that uh, we have, the difference between Polaris and then the Wagon Mount cases. The thing to note is that even though, so to speak, there's a different analysis being conducted they're not in direct conflict in the sense of how they're taking the facts. What it is, is they're taking the facts and they're just doing a different analysis. They're not doing a different test in how they apply it. And so the facts are very essential in knowing whether or not this is going to be negligence and whether or not this unforeseeable consequence can hold the person liable and for approximate cause. And so. Proximate cause just states, according to the Restatement of Torts, we talked about this yesterday, but I want to restate it: is that an actor's liability is limit is limited to the scope, sorry, is limited to those harms and that result from the risks made that made the actor's conduct negligent. What that is just saying is that. Approximate causes. we're looking at how liable a person should be for their negligence. How liable should we be for the wrongs that they conducted? And so that's really where we're getting into these analysis questions that we're asking, is we're, we're trying to figure out how to set these lines, set these uh, ground rules. And the thing is, is that there's not exact ground rules that we are going to follow. For example, we have Wagon Mountain 1, which we talked about yesterday, where they determined that the fire was not foreseeable, and the reason for that is because the plaintiffs didn't want to bring up the fire. Uh, They didn't talk about that in their case because they were the ones who actually dropped the fire. And so it's quite likely that they didn't want to be involved in a case that dealt with fire. But Wagon Mountain 2, it's the exact same case... Except it's the owners of the ships, assuming the uh, ship that dropped the oil into the harbor. So these owners, they don't care about Mort's dock setting the fire as far as dropping the molten onto the cotton waste. And so they're going to make this argument, and they are going to argue that a fire was foreseeable, and that the owner, or rather the engineer, should have known that dumping oil into the water could have reasonably foreseen a fire occurring. And you note that that's what makes it negligent. So the first step in our analysis needs to determine if there's negligence, and we need to ask, in that case, why then are they negligent? And to do that, we need to ask what kind of damage was foreseeable. And here, the plaintiffs are arguing that damage was foreseeable in the case of a fire. A fire would be foreseeable. And because that fire is foreseeable, they can be negligent and liable for any actions that could be taken to cause that fire. And so that's what Mac- Mound 2 is arguing. If that's the case, we need to do a risk Burden analysis. This is the learning in hand algebra problem that he does where the P times L must be greater than B to determine whether or not a person is or is not liable. But what we have here in this instance is that there's a small risk of the fire, but if a fire does happen, then the loss is going to be very substantial. And then if that's the case, well, what's the burden? Well, the burden is all they would have had to do was say, don't tip the oil into the water. And so minimizing, it, that's not a very expensive burden to minimize. In doing that risk analysis, they determined that they could be liable to the ship owners for the fire that had occurred due to their negligence. There was a causation that was linked directly to their actions. And this leads us into Paul's Graph versus Long Island Railroad Co. Professor Miller says, well, and this is, according to the textbook, one of the most famous cases as far as negligence and proximate cause goes, but Miller says it doesn't really deserve the fame that it gets. Ultimately, what happened here is that there was a plaintiff Uh, She had purchased a ticket at the railroad company, and uh, she was standing on the platform waiting for her train, and another person came and was trying to catch another train, and that train was just leaving, and so they were running. uh, They caught the train as it was running away, and the guards helped them onto the train, and in the process, a bag became dislodged, fell to the tracks, and... Ultimately, even though they didn't know what the contents of the bags were, it turns out that it was fireworks, and it exploded. So there's two ways that the courts could approach this, and there's a majority, and there's a dissent. And the these two opinions really outline the principles that we're talking about about how the courts may conduct an analysis, and there's these two really stark differences. So Cordozo, he's the justice that wrote the majority ended up becoming a supreme court justice later but he determines that they're not liable to the plaintiff that is suing here and the reason for that is because even though there was negligence that negligence was directed solely at the person who dropped the bag meaning they were helping the person who dropped the bag and he dropped the bag in their actions, I mean, they shouldn't, be, they shouldn't have pushed him on the train. They shouldn't have dislodged the bag. That was all directed to the person who they were trying to help, or rather get them onto the train. They should have instead stopped him and kept him from catching the train because it's dangerous. And so their actions were negligent because it caused a damage. So they had a duty to the person had the bag, but they didn't have a duty to the plaintiff, and that's because the consequence here wasn't foreseen to injure the plaintiff. It could have been foreseen to injure the person, the owner of the bag, but not the plaintiff in this case. This uh, this principle is really just called negligence in the air will not do, and that just means. The railroad company doesn't have a duty to everyone in the surrounding area. They only have a duty to where the negligence was directed. The dissent disagrees. Uh, They say that the whole world can be a foreseeable plaintiff. And so uh, the person who had the bag dropped... Uh, could be a plaintiff the person who uh, was standing f- 25 feet away and is the actual plaintiff in this case could be seen as a plaintiff and that's because the railroad had a duty and to everyone in the surrounding area who was underneath their charge and this case is made even stronger by the fact that the plaintiff here had purchased a ticket was catching a train not the train that was currently taking off but was catching a train And so wouldn't it make sense that the defendant here would be liable for any duty that they owed to this person and their safety? So Andrews, he's the author of this dissent, he says that anyone can be the plaintiff. But there needs to be limits to the liability, and these limits are going to come through uh, policy considerations and... Other factors that the court's gonna consider, there's gonna be several questions they're gonna ask, is the consequence a natural and continuous sequence? Meaning is it beginning from with the action to the actual consequence? Is the negligence a substantial factor of the consequence? Uh, was there a direct connection without too many intervening causes? Was the effect not too attenuated, meaning reduced? by the negligence or could the result have been foreseen or is it too remote if the answer to this is yes all the dissent is saying is this should be a question for the jury so if it's a foreseeable consequence to the plaintiff then the jury should decide whether or not she can collect damages for the negligence and that's really the stark difference between the two who do you owe in duty to? And how are we going to determine whether or not you're liable for that duty? That's our biggest takeaway from these cases. And tomorrow, not tomorrow, next week, uh, we'll talk about Yun.